BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Rachel Myro. In recent years, Silicon Valley companies have spent hundreds of millions of dollars in an attempt to diversify their ranks. But racial and gender discrimination is still a major problem in 2021, and employees report human resource departments not only dismiss complaints, they push out employees who speak up. Then at 9.40, we'll ask Oakland Congresswoman Barbara Lee about that massive coronavirus relief package, as well as her call for a commission to take a deep dive on truth, racial healing, and transformation. All that's next on Forum right after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro. Imagine you work for Google and you go to HR to talk about your colleagues making inappropriate comments about your skin color, or your manager retaliating against you after you asked about racial discrimination in pay. And then HR responds by recommending you seek therapy or take medical leave to address your mental health. About a dozen current and former employees at Google recently confirmed with NBC News this is a common practice at the company, which employs 20 23,000 people at its main campus in Mountain View alone. What is going on at Google and really throughout Silicon Valley? Here to talk about it is April Glazer, technology reporter with NBC News, and Natasha Tiku, tech culture reporter for The Washington Post. April, why don't we start with you? Have you heard from more Google employees since your latest story published last week? We have, yeah. When we when it came out, there was definitely a f- uh, outpouring of responses from people, not just at Google, to be clear, but across the technology industry and actually just corporate America in general, just at large companies. This appears to be a rather common tactic for when people, as you put it, confront human resources about a discriminatory experience that they had on their team, they're often suggested to seek therapy. And and that makes workers feel like they're the problem. And so a lot of people came forward and said, you know, after the story came out and and said, you know, it was it was really um, relieving to, to read this. It was um, it was cathartic to see that it wasn't just them. It really sounds like gaslighting in a corporate sense. Yeah, people actually use that word quite a bit while we were reporting this story, that that they felt that their concerns weren't taken seriously. And in fact, they uh, were told that that maybe they're mentally unwell. So it's, it seemed like kind of the textbook definition of gaslighting, um, you know, as far as 
gaslighting being when you tell someone that there's a problem and, and then they kind of turn it back on you in some way and turn you into the problem. That appears to be what happened here, according to our sources. Natasha, you'd think tech companies, uh, for that matter, large companies all over the U.S., have the money to hire really good HR people, the best. So, so what do you make of headlines like this one from April? Well, I think um, April's story really highlights how uh, much of a pattern and how intentional this practice is. Um, you're right. Google certainly spends a lot of money on their, uh, what they call their HR business partners. And the fact that this is a common practice, um, you know, as April mentioned in other throughout corporate America, I've heard of it happening at other tech companies, um, means that this is one tactic that companies have found successful for dealing with, um, you know, complaints about discrimination, harassment, other workplace issues. And and I think that that tells us a lot about what they consider dealing with or confronting a problem, which is to try to, um, you know, marginalize the person who came forward with it and not to try to confront the power dynamics that brought it about. And I suppose it bears saying that white employees face uh, the same kind of problem if they dare to complain about race discrimination, you know, as an ally or or gender discrimination, you know, harassment that happens to them. Hey, yeah, I'll jump in here. Uh, that did come through in our reporting. You know, a manager uh, tried to get the pay increase for a black employee on his team. And, uh, you know, he kept trying to, to confront the issue, confront the issue. And eventually he got kind of focused, uh, got sent to HR. And and then um, HR said, you know, kept kind of deflecting the problem, deflecting the problem. And, and he was told that he can either take severance or take a medical leave, um, which, you know, he wasn't sick. There was nothing wrong with him. And this story actually came to my attention um, when I started interviewing Google workers after a large walkout that happened a few years ago following reporting in the New York Times about uh, Google giving a large exit packages to uh, male executives after they had uh, been found a you know, credibly been found to have engaged in sexual harassment or sexual assault. Um, and women were coming forward saying, well, when I reported something that happened to me, um, I actually was told to seek therapy or I was told to take a medical leave. Um, and one of the characters in our story, Claire Stapleton, who was an organizer of that march, had written a, kind of an op-ed or, or a, a reflection in the magazine Elle and recounted this. And, and I started to put pieces together because I had been speaking to so many Google employees you know, for my years as a reporter. And I, and I said, wow, you know what? People have keep telling me this happens. And it started to really reveal itself as a pattern. And so, you know, over uh, the past few months, as, as we just, you know, continue with our reporting and, and, um, and are, you know, just doing the news, doing our jobs. And we talked to Google employees, this kept coming up. And so we decided that, you know, it, it's really began to look like a pattern and we looked into it quite further and, and it appeared that it was. We're talking about the way Silicon Valley companies respond to reports of racial and sexual discrimination and harassment in-house with April Glazer, technology reporter for NBC News, and Natasha Tiku, tech culture reporter at The Washington Post. Do you work in tech? What do you want to see change at your company and how? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. You're 
might be listening to Bear purring. He's not purring because he thinks the topic is grand. 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. It's interesting, April, that you mentioned that uh, New York Times investigation uh, about the creator of Android, for instance, receiving a $90 million exit package uh, even after the company found a sexual assault claim against him credible at Google. Uh, You know, that, of course, was what launched a major employee uh, protest, so an organized walkout. And as you say, they've been publishing essays with Elle and on Medium, uh, going to the press, going to people like you. Um, It it seems like we've, we've blown past that time when employees at major Silicon Valley companies are willing to be quiet, to stay quiet about these things. Certainly, you know, the more people hear that what happened to them has happened to others, they begin to feel empowered to share their story because it's really hard for anything to change if we don't talk about the way things currently are. And so in recent years, we've certainly seen a reckoning within Silicon Valley companies, particularly major tech companies like Google, uh, where employees have been very emboldened to speak out. And, you know, that also comes from the culture within these companies. I mean, at Google in particular, there's always been a culture of this kind of free flow of information, this very open conversational dialogue, this kind of idea of this kind of horizontality where, um, you know, yes, we have managers and bosses, but uh, but we're all in conversation, collaborating together. And they really encouraged dialogue within these companies and within the culture of these companies. And, you know, employees are now using that culture to, to, to speak out, uh, both in, on internal forums where We've seen petitions and and people organize protests, but also publicly, as you said, on Medium and, and even taking it to the streets, as we saw with the large walkout a couple years ago. Natasha, we heard April say the word uh, pattern earlier. And of course, that brings to mind pattern and practice, a very common phrase uh, when you're talking about lawsuits. Uh, do employees not fear uh, that the companies might come after them, you know, because they have signed things like non-disclosure agreements? Um, yes, they, they're, there's certainly that fear. Um, and I think that that uh, plus a bevy of different legal documents that tech employees are used to signing um, non-disclosure, non-disparagement, which is sometimes tied to their severance, severance packages. Uh, you know, it's it's this um, double effect of professing a culture, like April said, that is very open and um, embraces dissent with these social norms inside tech companies about um, keeping it in the family, you know, keeping it internal. Like we can have these candid dialogues only because uh, you are not willing to speak to the press. And I think that's why this tactic of turning a valid complaint about um, harassment or discrimination or, um, you know, employment law violations into you know, reframing it as a mental health problem is so effective because, you know, what April said, like around the same time that reporters were hearing about this, other Google employees were learning from each other. Claire Stapleton, who is in there um, in the NBC story, she and another Google walkout organizer hosted what they called a uh, retaliation town hall after they faced some of these issues. And I, um, you know, from what I heard, that's when a lot of other employees realized that they weren't alone in being told that 
this was a mental health issue or to take leave. Um, you know, it's a very quick way to shut someone up because, um, you know, they might think, wait, is it me? Is it my problem? If you don't know that it's a pattern uh, and a tactic that companies can use, um, you might end up keeping what's happening to you to yourself. Let's go to the phones now and Melissa in San Francisco. Hi. Um, so I've worked at three tech companies down in finance district at this point in my life. And what I've often found is first that there's a culture of HR um, amongst employees really not being your friend and being there to protect the employer. So if you're an employee that has a problem, um, it's not necessarily encouraged to go to HR, but also that of the companies I've worked for, a significant amount of HR was actually under 30. So there was a lot of kind of young, untrained individuals in HR trying to address a lot of these problems um, that just didn't have the resources or expertise to do so. Interesting. Is that something you've seen in your uh, reporting, Natasha? Um, I haven't heard exactly that pattern, but I have heard that, um, you know, uh, there is a growing awareness among workers that HR is not your friend, uh, exactly as the caller said. Um, you know, that's something I think that um, the longer you're in the workforce, um, you know, the you eventually have to confront that fact. But, um, you know, I have heard one dynamic that that um, that comes into play with Google is oftentimes, or, or even Uber, actually, um, oftentimes the people working in HR are white women, and that can shape the way that they, um, the way that they digest your complaints about discrimination and racism. We'll, um, and, we'll respond uh, to it. I'm going to uh, have you put that thought on pause. We'll get right back to it. Just want to tell folks we are talking about the way Silicon Valley companies respond to reports of racial and sexual discrimination in-house. If you want to join the conversation, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Of course, we still take email, so email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. You're listening to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro, talking with April Glazer of NBC News and Natasha Tiku of The Washington Post about the way Silicon Valley companies respond to reports of racial and sexual discrimination in-house or don't. Uh, Natasha, we were just talking about uh, the diversity or lack thereof in human resource departments possibly being uh, a factor in this. And that's one of the things we've sort of seen since 2014 when many of these companies began uh, publishing annual reports of their racial and gender makeup. Uh, that, you know, from department to department, there are big differences. 
Certainly, yeah. And, um, you know, it's interesting to note that where we've seen the least diversity is uh, the technical workforces of these um, of these corporations. And that is also, um, you know, the the folks who are on the highest strata on internal company hierarchies. Um, and yeah, the dynamics that we were talking about, about, um, you know, white women being the ones to adjudicate these complaints, I think that's something that um, Dr. Uh, Timney Gebru and also April Curley, both of who were featured in April's story, um, that's something that they have talked about, um, the challenges that they faced um, in talking to other women who they hoped would be, um, you know, kind of open to understanding their concerns, but ended up inadvertently um, or, you know, perhaps intentionally uh, silencing their complaints and marginalizing their concerns. We've got another caller on the line, Brian in Oakland. Hi, how's it going? Good, how are you? Not too bad. Uh, I'm calling because I used to actually work at Google and LinkedIn. I'm a black male. Uh, I left the industry uh, recently, and a lot of my other friends who are black males have left the industry exactly for what you're talking about. Um, I made it to the executive level, but even at that level, I would try to bring in a white male or somebody else or another female into the room whenever I had meetings with uh, some of my white counterparts because I did not want to be assumed to be violent or angry or et cetera if uh, the meeting wasn't going well. Um, wow. I've also seen women be harassed at company parties and executives not necessarily um, taking any responsibility for that uh, in a long way. And there's really no, as you're saying, there's really no way to adjust this unless you're outside of the industry and you're not working for these companies anymore because everybody talks. April, any thoughts about this? I mean, Brian is talking about something he's observed at more than one company, right? Google and LinkedIn, and and doesn't feel that that this is something that can be addressed from within. You know, it, it's hard to say if it can be addressed from within, but certainly they've been investing on addressing it with, from within, and we have not seen a lot changed in years despite a tremendous amount of investment. But one thing that really struck me about the caller's first comments is that he said he's no longer at these companies. And so, you know, we have to ask, when there is a problem and people do try to, you know, address it internally, go through the proper channels, and then they are kind of denied, um, their experience is denied to them, right? And and they're they're told that maybe they should go seek mental health leave. They don't stay. And so, you know, I think that that this actually speaks to something that Natasha has reported on quite a bit, um, which is, you know, wh why diversity in Silicon Valley is so unchanging, right? I mean, it's, it's partially because of uh, recruitment, which is a recent article that Natasha wrote in the New York Times, um, I'm sorry, in the Washington Post, rather, um, about issues with um, recruiting at historically black colleges and universities uh, for technical teams within Google um, and across Silicon Valley. But, but also then once people get there, how are they treated, right? And so often diversity in the technology industry is reduced to this kind of quote unquote pipeline problem or that people, um, you know, are not getting recruited, they're not hiring enough. But there also is a problem with retention because once people are there, there's a question as to how are they treated. 
you brought up my next point, the, the difference between recruitment and retention, because, you know, years into this investment, as you say, many of these companies show really incremental gains, especially when we're talking about black and Latino employees. Uh, Natasha, I mean, is there a company or companies, plural, that, that are doing it right, showing us the way forward to really improve the situation? Um, you know, I, I recently uh, took a very close look at uh, the diversity reports from various tech companies, and I, you know, I was sad to see that there really was very little difference among them. Um, Twitter had had a bit more success with diversifying um, its technical workforce when it came to um, Latinx and Black engineers. However, Twitter also has a much smaller workforce than some of the companies I was comparing them to, um, Apple, Google, uh, Microsoft, uh, Facebook. Um, and, uh, you know, it's 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 really painful to see the lack of progress. And as you look closer at some of these diversity reports, um, the lack of investment compared to the way that these companies fund other projects that they think are, um, you know, high priority and, uh, you know, can make a real difference to their bottom line. It feels like despite their rhetoric changing, um, their practices really remain the same. Let's turn now to Peter in Woodside. Yeah, hi. Um, I uh, also uh, very my heart goes out to uh, so many people that have uh, justifiably complained of uh, racial discrimination, and I've spent my life trying every way I can to to become more sensitive. Uh, my question is: um, Is it ever um, questioned um, when? an employee levels such a charge at their superior, um, is it ever a question whether or not that employee who's charging some form of racial discrimination um, might also be using the R word, the racism word, um, in a manipulative way? In other words, are, they, are their motives ever questioned or are their motives always automatically and instantaneously assumed to be legitimate? I'll take my answer off the air. Thank you so much, Peter. April, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I do have thoughts on that. Um, you know, the, the first thing I'll say is that when people go to HR, it's usually because it's gotten really, really bad, right? Like, you know, just because you have some bad interaction doesn't mean the first thing you're going to do is go to HR. It usually has to be a pretty bad interaction. And at least with all the sources I spoke to, they only went to HR after stuff had stacked up for sometimes years. And they were finally like, okay, you know what? I have to talk to someone about this because if I'm going to stay at this company, something has to change. One thing that Google told me in the course of my reporting is that it does investigate all of its claims uh, when, when not in claims, but when people come in and claim that something had happened to them, something discriminatory had happened to them, or they experienced racism or sexism on their team. So, you know, according to, to Google anyway, all all claims are investigated, all complaints are investigated, and, and then they kind of, you know, act accordingly from there. So, you know, I, I can't say what the motivation of anyone is, um, but I do know that the many sources that I've spoken to over the years say that going to HR is never easy. It's even harder to go to a reporter. They usually do that when everything else fails, right? Um, and 
and that, you know, Google does say that it investigates everything. So um, I, I hope that answers the question. You know, it kind of raises another question, too, which is many of these cases seem very difficult to investigate, you know, unless somebody has been stupid enough to document their behavior, say, in an email. Uh, you're up against a she said, she said uh, problem where, you know, who do you trust? Who do you believe? There often is documentation, though, because, uh, you know, as actually Natasha can account for it in, in her reporting on Pinterest uh, specifically, where where we've seen, um, you know, serious uh, accusations of racism within the company um, and, and Black women leaving the company, um, there's an email trail. There's people who can corroborate. Uh, this. These are often patterns that go on for long periods of time. And, you know, there also is something to be said for believing victims, right? When people are already marginalized in their job, if they're the only Black person on their team, you know, it's it's already uncomfortable enough um, to, to to raise a problem like this because maybe you feel that you don't feel so secure in your position. Um, you're not you're not sure if you're accepted on your team, maybe because of the way you're treated. Um, so you know, it, it's going to HR is just not easy. You know, uh, yes, Garth to, oh, sorry. oh, sorry, yeah. Natasha. Yeah, just yeah. to add to what April was saying and and um, uh, address some of the caller's concerns, there's a real financial um, disincentive to going to HR because uh, you lodge a complaint against your manager and your manager is the same person who is giving you your performance review. And at tech companies, um, you know, performance reviews like these things uh, take up months and um, you are evaluated by your peers, other people who are in the room when this discrimination happens. And, um, you know, as we have seen with at Pinterest, at Google, um, you know, the people who raised these concerns, who had documentation for their concerns, they were still pushed out of the company. Um, they were fired or, um, you know, things got so bad that they had to leave. So uh, I, I, there's really no financial upside to raising these concerns. And, you know, as as your reporting and other people's has confirmed, HR departments often move somebody who's who's lodged a complaint from one team or division to another, in effect, derailing their career, even if they're, they're being taken away from the quote unquote problem person. Garth writes, these are real challenges I've encountered in the tech industry over the past 15 years as a non-white person. One thing to also consider is how much more challenging it is for employees at early stage startups who at times don't even have an HR team. Additionally, when you don't have the power or cachet of a Google employee, there's even more fear of losing your job. I recently decided not to go back to the tech industry after being laid off as I don't feel that I I want to participate in that culture anymore. Uh, let's go to another phone call, Fred in Livermore. Yes, uh, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I'm I'm a black male and I worked in tech uh, almost from the early 2000s, even late 1990s. And what I've noticed with the companies, it's um, uh, people don't uh, just come up with these accusations because you're making money. You're in an environment where you see the opportunity, you have the stock options, there are a lot of opportunities to make money. So for an individual to actually make a complaint and to go to HR, 
is a big deal because their career is at stake. Their financial stability is at stake. So it's not something, as the last caller was saying, well, um, how do you know? Well, there are exceptions to the rule, but that's life. But for the most part, people leave, and I actually left because I personally felt that I wasn't moving up the corporate ladder in a way that um, my skills, my numbers, um, I was very successful, and my peers thought I was, but when opportunities for executive level or at a higher level, those opportunities were on the table, and I was recommended by my peers or my immediate manager, uh, he even told me they would talk about other people. So it's it's not um, a situation where people are making up things. It is by design. Um, the tech industry, uh, it's like a, a fraternity, if you will. And it's a fraternity for white people uh, predominantly at the top that are making the majority of the money, and they create an environment that protects them. So if you're an outsider, if you're black, if you don't play the game, or if you are whatever uh, persuasion and you don't, um, you know, blend in and, and basically accept the environment, and you are on the outside looking in. So that was, uh, you know, my experience. I left the industry. I'm happy I did. I'm in healthcare. Um, I'm very mm-hmm. successful in healthcare. I'm a C-level executive. And um, I'm I'm good now, but it was a, a bitter uh, pill to swallow because I made um, a nice uh, financial situation. I did very well, but the downside was uh, unless I really sort of played a certain game, I wasn't um, you know worthy enough to be there, and I was seen as an outsider. Well, Fred, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. It it. Uh just describes exactly what we're talking about. I I do want to read a statement that we received from Google. If someone raises a complaint, our first priority is to investigate their concerns, and we take firm action when we find policy violations. At the same time, we know that being the subject of and reporting misconduct is hard, so we provide uh, Google-funded resources for employees who may want additional care and support through the process. We think this is the right thing for an employer to do to support people making complaints, but to be clear, these resources are in no way a substitute to Google investigating and addressing the matter they have reported. Uh, with that, let's go to caller Amy in Santa Rosa. Uh, yes, and I want to support what Fred said about this being uh, a a large system that these companies are have created and the incentives. Um, I was in, in engineering in Silicon Valley for several decades, and I've been out for several, several decades. And what you learn is that HR, particularly the senior HR, if you want to be successful, you align yourself with the business interests of the company, and the business interests come first, not the employee interests. You think it's human resources, so you think, if I have a problem, I should go there. But the fact is they're aligned with the the executives and the business interests. And so if the interests are that if we have a problem with an executive and they have to leave and we have to pay them some kind of, you know, exit package, that's a big hit. Um, We'd rather you just went and, you know, gaslighted you and told you to go get help. So it's much cheaper to have the employees be the problem than to have the executives be the problem. 
Very good point, and something I have heard in uh, seen in my own reporting. Uh, Sierra writes, can your guests speak to these issues of racism in venture capital firms in Silicon Valley? Recent personal experiences have been extremely discouraging, witnessing an incredibly talented team of black men with a brilliant idea being turned away again and again. This was before 2021. Subsequent to this past year of visible racial reckoning in the country, these same individuals have been recruited heavily by big tech. It's hard for them not to feel that both situations don't go beyond their skin. Well, this is all fairly disheartening, isn't it, uh, Natasha? Uh, yes, and I and I think it's it's um, it's incredibly demoralizing for entrepreneurs and investors. And it's um, you know there is a reason that the focus is often on um, the lack of diversity in engineering and the lack of diversity in venture capital. Because, um, you know, these are the roles that can really influence wealth creation, wealth accumulation, you know, who has the power to build uh, the kind of vision they want to see for the future, the kinds of products and services that billions of people use. And I think that um, the venture capital industry, which has a massive effect actually on these companies, you know, um, uh, Google was very much influenced by its, um, one of its early investors, John Doerr, um, you know, uh, and we really, uh, the lack of diversity in venture capital is even more stark when you look at not only, um, you know, who gets the funding, but also uh, the upper rungs of venture capital firms, who's a general partner, who actually gets to make the funding decisions, um, you know, who gets to be a billionaire uh, based on their ideas. It's, it's very often white men. White or well, Asian. I want to thank our guests for, for a, uh, a sober conversation about how much further we have to go in Silicon Valley. I've been talking with April Glazer, technology reporter for NBC News, and Natasha Tico, tech culture reporter for The Washington Post. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening 
because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.